This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Hello, and welcome to SuperAge. My name is David Harry Stewart. I'm the founder of Aegist. At SuperAge, we help you live better and become the best version of yourself. And who doesn't want a SuperAge? Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker. Go to insidetracker.com slash age to save 20% on all their products. Get yourself a dashboard to your inner health. Welcome to episode 93 of the SuperAge podcast. This is going to be dropping on July the 20th, 2022. This week on the show, we've got... Dr. Richard Johnson coming back to talk to us about fructose and this time about brain health and a lot of the other things in our bodies that fructose will impact. Uh, We had Dr. Johnson on about six months ago. He was one of our favorite guests, provided a lot of information for us, and we got him back this week. So we're going to get with him in just a moment. It's been a lovely summer so far here in the mountains of Utah, and I belong to a gym like a lot of people do. Um, I belong to a lot of gyms over the years, and the gym that I belong to now is um, a rather interesting place. Um, it's you know they call it a sports club, right? So they're all you know all gyms are called clubs, but this one is actually kind of clubby and it's kind of nice. One of the interesting things about this particular gym is there are a number of like world class elite athletes that also belong to the gym. So you never know what you're going to see. And the other day, I go in there, I go in in the morning, and I hear this bang, 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 bang sort of noise. And I'm thinking, what is that? And I go out into the main floor in the gym, and in the mezzanine, they have some cardio machines. And I look up, and there's a series of treadmills. And there's a woman on this treadmill doing to a treadmill what I've never seen done before. She was running incredibly fast, probably, you know, like four minute mile pace on this treadmill. And she's just like (laughs) crushing the treadmill. Like, and I, I'm not exaggerating. It was like bang, 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 sort of pace on this thing. And it went on for, I don't know how long she'd been there, like 15 or 20 minutes. I asked around like, who is this person who's, you know, destroying a treadmill? (laughs) And, uh, it turns out she's like top five in the world in the 5,000 meters. Um, so I don't know, like, you know, you just like as, as fit as you think you are, then you come across somebody like that. And they're like, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. I was actually another story of my gym. I was in the sauna and the sauna is like very social at my gym. And there's a guy sitting next to me where he's clearly a runner. And as we're talking, I, see, I said, so what's your resting heart rate? And his name is Grant. He said, 32. I said, 32. Oh, my God. I've like never like I thought, you know. Lance Armstrong's, I think, was like 38, and I thought that was extraordinary. He says, ah, yeah, 32. So I looked this guy up, and uh, he ran a four-minute mile when he was in high school, and he just won the 5,000 meters um, at the U.S. Track Championships in Oregon. So, um, And he's favored to be best in the world. So, <laughs> um, Anyway, if you're in Park City, Utah, go to the Silver Mountain Sports Club. You never know who you'll meet. We may have mentioned before that we have a Google Voice call-in number, which is 801-871-5291. That's 801-871-5291. And please call in. Um, Give us your questions. 
Um, hard questions. We love those. Comments on any of the guests, any sort of things that you would like to know, and we're happy to answer. So we have one this week, and we're going to play that right now. Hi, David. This is regarding oral health. I have a question. Is um, can a cavity can be treated without having it drilled? Um, there is some kind of treatment that, uh, like a laser, for example, or another question is um, that can be reversed. Thank you. Now, this was really interesting. I, I think the question here is, if one has a cavity and it needs to be treated, um, is there an alternative to using a drill, like a laser? And if something like that is used, is it reversible? Now, I haven't had a cavity dealt with in decades. So I, I actually had to look this up. And indeed, there are now... Uh, lasers that can be used in the mouth to take away decay and um, help treat the cavity. It, I do not believe that they are reversible. So once you remove material from the tooth, I believe that's a permanent thing. Um, but I did find it was very interesting, these, these sort of new technologies that are being used in dentistry um, rather than drills. I there seem to be some advantages to them. Um, they seem to be rather new. I, I think if this is something that you're interested in, I mean, I would really explore this with your dentist about what the upsides and downsides to this are. Um, it seems, from what I can tell, I'm not a dentist, but it seems like the tool, the laser tool itself, can be controlled quite well. I don't know if it's able to get decay out to the same way a drill has. Um, but I, I thought that was very interesting. So th thank you for bringing that in. Um, you educated me on lasers and dentistry. Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the dashboard to your inner health. Just as a car has a dashboard so you can tell how fast you're going and how much gas you have, you need a dashboard for your inner health. You need to know what's going on inside your body if you're going to optimize it. You need some way to monitor what's going on inside your body. And then once you know what's going on inside your body, you need some way to help optimize that. And this is what I get from Inside Tracker. With their 43 biomarkers that they're testing, along with the genetics that they test me for, I know what I should be eating to really optimize where I want to be. And I get to choose that target of where I want to be. Am I working on brain health? Am I working on longevity? Is there something with my fitness that I'm interested in optimizing? The app will make recommendations personalized to me based on my blood work and my genetics. And that's something that I just think is invaluable. Um, it's not a replacement for seeing my doctor. It's not a replacement for any of the other professionals in my life. It is an additive, but it is an additive that is with me every day, all day. And I can consult it and I can see what should I be doing right now. And then I can test again and see what changes have happened. If you go to insidetracker.com slash ageist, you'll save 20% on all their products. Hey, Richard, how are you today? Wonderful. I'm happy to be back on your program. It is so great to have you back. We got so many questions and so many comments from your last episode. I think of the, I don't know how many of these you've done, like 80 or 90, yours is yours generated more comments, more questions than anything. So 
Um, I'm really I, I excited hope that's to have you good. back. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so let's just sort of refresh people's memory. Um, we're we're going to be talking about fructose, and so just quickly, fructose, glucose, food. Yeah, what is that? Right. So fructose is a nutrient. It's a sugar. Um, it's present in fruit, which we know is generally healthy, uh, but it's also present in sugar. So table sugar is half fructose and half glucose, and they're bound together. Uh, high fructose corn syrup is also a mixture of fructose and glucose um, freely mixed together. And so our major sources of fructose in the Western diet uh, come from table sugar and high fructose corn syrup, or basically sweeteners, caloric sweeteners, generally have fructose in them. That's what makes uh, you know sugar taste sweet is the fructose component. Uh, and then we also talked about how the body can make fructose. This uh, it's been known for a long time, but uh, our studies actually suggest that the fructose we make can have a role in causing obesity. It isn't just that we make a tiny amount we can make uh, significant amounts. Um, and we've been able to show that things like high glycemic carbs or things like starchy foods like potatoes and rice, uh, a, a part of them get turned into fructose in the body uh, when the uh, related to the glucose spikes that occur. The glucose spikes, glucose gets converted to fructose. And when the glucose levels go high, there's a conversion of some of it to fructose that also occurs in diabetes, for example, where you have high glucose. And then uh, we also talked about how certain uh, certain things can can trigger the the, the conversion of, of glucose to fructose. And this includes like salty foods and so forth that trigger the enzyme that converts the glucose to fructose. So there, the body can make fructose and you can also eat fructose, but for most of us, um, you know, a lot of us get most of our fructose from diet and from the sugar we eat. Uh, fruits don't actually provide as much fructose as the, the total amount of sugars that the average person is eating. So I'm going to just get right to it here. Um, can I eat an apple? Is that going to be bad for me? You can eat an apple. David, okay. go ahead. <laughs> so let me, let me explain how it works. So so first, uh, you know, our work suggests that fructose is distinct from other foods. And, you know, most foods, when you eat the food, you use it to make energy. And that most of the energy is produced as ATP. This is what we call the active energy we use in our body. But there's also stored energy. And stored energy is, is basically fat. And glycogen is stored carbohydrates. So when we, when we, everybody has some stored energy and some of us have more than we want. <laughs> and so uh, stored energy is really fat and active energy is ATP. And when we uh, are eating regular foods, we try to maintain the ATP levels at a really good level. But when you eat fructose, it does a trick and it drops the ATP in the, in the, in the cells and puts more of the energy into fat. And because it keeps the ATP levels low, that turns out to be a stimulus for us to eat more because we 
want to have high instant energy. So when we drop that ATP level, it makes us hungry and eat more. And it also triggers a lot of metabolic changes in our blood, in our body, like becoming pre-diabetic. So it turns out that fructose is different from other foods and its ability to cause obesity and diabetes. And so our work has really looked at how fructose does this. And so when we when we looked at this, the one of the very basic questions that came up is, okay, if fructose causes obesity, what about fruit? You right. know, we've been told that fruit's healthy. Uh, everyone says, you know, you should eat more fruit. Um, and, and, you know, so what's the story, Rick? Because, you know, if fructose is bad, then, then I shouldn't be eating that apple. And right. so, <laughs> so let me explain this. So the first thing is, uh, when you, uh, the way fructose works, it's, it's the concentration of fructose that triggers this drop in ATP. So when you drink a soft drink, you, you're drinking this huge amount of fructose and you're drinking it fast. And especially if you drink it on an empty stomach, you flood the liver with fructose and you plummet the uh, energy levels and you activate this switch that makes you want to hold on and become fat. Okay. And so like uh, if a bear is preparing to hibernate, it will eat like 10,000 grapes in a 24 hour period or 10,000 berries, you know, it will eat a huge amount of of fruit uh, so that it gets a very big load. And so it, it eats as much, you know, they forage and look for this. So, uh, but we, we're eating like one fruit, you know, or right. two fruits at a time. We're not eating hundreds of fruits. And, and when we eat that fruit, it has a lot of fiber, which mm. slows the absorption so that the concentration isn't so, it doesn't peak. It, it's, it's a, the absorption is slower because of all the fiber. And then it has stuff in the fruit that actually kind of counters the effects of fructose. There's, there's vitamin C, for example, and vitamin C actually counters the effects of fructose to some extent. In fact, I recommend everyone to take some vitamin C. And it also has flavanols and potassium and other things like epicatechin. And these things also block some of the effects of fructose. And, and then it only has like five or six grams of fructose, whereas a soft drink can have 20, 30 grams of fructose. So what happens is um, there is a small amount of fructose in fruits. And if you ate a lot of fruit, you could get into trouble. When you eat just one fruit at a time, you know, you, you're getting like uh, somewhere between four and eight grams of fructose. And here's another thing, the body, the intestines inactivate the first four or five grams of fructose before it gets to the liver. And, uh, and so if you eat a fruit, uh, you're not getting that much fructose to the liver. And instead, you're getting all the benefits of fruit, which are the vitamin C and the flavanols and all that. So uh, the data shows that people who get natural, who eat natural fruits, they do well. Uh, but if you drink fruit juice, where you uh, mm. remove a lot of the fiber and pulp, and you, you put like five or six fruits together, um, then you actually, it is associated with obesity. And the pediatric societies noted this years ago that we should limit the fruit juice that children get. And likewise, if you dry, eat dried fruit, Mm. Uh, a lot of the good things go out, get get inactivated, and you tend to eat. It's more like candy. 
So you have to be careful with dried fruit. But basically, fruit is, uh, is good. Uh, we did a study in uh, people overweight. This was done in Mexico, where we put them on a low, a low fructose diet. But we, did, we asked the question, could you give them give back natural fruit? So we, we did a low fructose diet when one group and another group got low fructose diet, but then they got back natural fruit supplements. So it wasn't truly a low fructose, but they were low sugar. And they both groups did equally well. They both had improvement in weight, uh, metabolic syndrome, and all of those. And so we, we didn't see a big difference. And in fact, the low, when you added back the fruit, it was better tolerated. The diet was enjoyed more. So I, I think um, natural fruits are good, um, but you, you but don't get that big bowl of grapes when you're watching TV and eat the whole thing, because then you're, you will be activating the switch. Um, what about um, I've had dinner and I say to myself, Oh, lime sorbet. Let's have that. What's that going to do to me? Well, I would be worried about that because the sorbet <laughs> usually has sugar added to it. A little bit. Uh, um, <laughs> and this can be really sweet. It tastes really good. Right. You know, so here's another thing. Um, you know, if you drank a soft drink or if you ate a dessert and you were able to eat it very, very slowly, mm. you would not activate the switch. It would act oh, like a calorie. So if I took a soft drink and I just took one sip every mm. 20 minutes, you know, 10 minutes, and I, you know, took two hours to drink it, or it would be a calorie. It wouldn't really be more than that. But if, uh, if I took that soft drink and I drank it, especially on an empty stomach and just guzzled it down, it would be a big, big activator. So it's how you eat it too. So we did a study where we gave apple juice. And apple juice is sort of like soft drinks. It's, I, you know, I like apple. When I was a kid, I used to drink apple cider, especially around Halloween and put little cinnamon in it. I don't know if you did that. Absolutely. <laughs> and I loved it. And uh, I still love it, to be honest. Uh, you know, but, but I, I know that it's not good to drink, uh, drink a lot of it. And so you have to give yourself just a small amount, uh, you know so that you don't really activate the switch and you can still enjoy a little bit of the flavor. But, but I'll, I'll tell you, um, but, but, you know, getting back to this, but uh, you know, fruit juice uh, and apple cider are bad. And we, we did an experiment with apple juice in subjects and we gave it to them in a rapidly or slowly. Mm. And we could, we could measure the switch being activated and the people who drank it fast activated the switch much, much, much more uh, prominently than the people who drank it slow. So it, you know, there, it really, one of the things about our science is it's giving us insights that it isn't, you know, you know, first it was carbs versus proteins. Then it's, you know, bad carbs versus good carbs and bad proteins versus good protein. But there's another layer, you know, how you eat it, you eat it fast or slow you know, and all these different things. So it, it turns out, you know, there's a lot to study. <laughs> so what happens if, um, say I've got a continuous glucose monitor, yes. which is monitoring glucose, not yes. fructose. Um, how would that interact? Like wh- how, how useful is that to understand my, gl- my fructose load? Yes. That's so really great 
question. So I love the continuous glucose monitor. I think it's actually very useful. We know, we know that foods like bread, rice, and potatoes uh, increase our risk for obesity. Um, it's just very, very apparent that what we call high glycemic carbs are, are probably uh, as bad as sugar in many ways. Um, you know, so, so a lot of people will get continuous glucose monitors because when you eat like a potato or uh, rice, your blood glucose will drift up for a little bit after you eat it before, and then it will come back down. So mm -hmm. it's like getting transient rise in glucose. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, you know, if it's chronically high, we call it diabetes. But when it goes up transiently, uh, you know, it has to hit a certain level to really be diabetes. And so many of us get a glucose monitor and we eat these foods. And, and the theory that's out there the, is that it's the insulin response that drives uh, obesity. Uh, and that insulin goes up when they're, when we eat foods with high glucose in it and the glucose goes up, then insulin goes up and then insulin drives the glucose into the cell where it gets stored as fat. But the, the reality is that although high insulin does do that and it does store fat, the, the main mechanism, uh, the, the main mechanism by which high glycemic foods cause obesity is by the glucose being converted to fructose. And that happens when the glucose goes up as well. So we actually did a study where we, where we sorted it out and we were able to show that, you know, a certain amount is due to insulin, but most of it is due to the conversion to fructose. So the bottom line is um, it doesn't really matter when your glucose levels go up, you're, eat, you're stimulating insulin and you're stimulating the conversion to fructose. And so the glucose monitor is still useful because you can, uh, when it goes up, you're triggering weight gain. Okay. So, so you don't want the glucose level to go up high. And, and so people um, get these monitors and, and you, you know, the, the dream is to try to keep your glucose like under 120 after food, after eating. Uh, some people are, uh, are, you know, on low carb diets, try to keep their glucose levels even lower. Uh, there's not really terrific data on what is the magic number to keep. Um, but, but based on my reading, I would say that if you can be under 120, um, that that's like, uh, the dream. Um, but you know, uh, you know, that doesn't mean you can't every now and then eat cake and so forth, uh, drink water with it, do other, you know, eat it slowly. But, um, you know, uh, for the, for the, for most of us, unless you're on a low carb diet and, and you, you know, really are following that diet closely, um, you know, most of us will still on occasion, you know, have, ha have sweets, but we just try to do it, you know, re recognizing that it does activate the switch and that we have to be careful. I love continuous glucose monitors. I think yeah, everyone, I do too. everybody should ask their doctor to get one. They're just fascinating. Um, They're fantastic. <laughs> Um, let's move on to the effect of, um, let's talk about the brain, the yes. brain and fructose. So what kind of bad stuff happens? Well, if you give sugar to animals, um, they will, uh, over time, uh, not actually it doesn't take that long. They will actually have trouble like navigating through a maze. Uh, they take longer times. Their cognition is, goes down. Yes. 
Absolutely. And, and you can show this by just feeding sugar to, an, to uh, rats, for example. And multiple studies have shown this. And, um, and so this is, of course, kind of scary. Um, and if you look at, uh, at people with dementia, uh, you know, both vascular dementia and uh, Alzheimer's, the, the two major forms, Um, Things like soft drinks and sugar intake appears to be a risk factor. Um, And actually the things that raise fructose, like high glycemic carbs, like salty foods, they are also associated with an increased risk for Alzheimer's. So um, I've been uh, really intrigued with this. And there are even studies that show that patients with Alzheimer's disease show evidence of this fructose pathway in their brain. Mm. Uh, One study found like five times the levels of fructose compared to controls in in the brain of Alzheimer's patients. And the pathway for fructose metabolism is also activated in the brains of of patients with Alzheimer's. Um, And uh, so there's this thought that perhaps uh, there's, it's a hypothesis, but there's this thought that perhaps uh, fructose metabolism could be playing a role in the cause of Alzheimer's. Um, you know, um, so so that's sort of the, the background. Um, now, there, there's a potential mechanism by which this could occur. And, and let me explain it. You know, for years... In Alzheimer's, the focus has been on amyloid plaques and tau protein. These are the kind of the end products. Uh, you know, uh, you know, the brain shrinks. There's a loss of neurons, and there's this accumulation of amyloid. And so, uh, most uh, scientists uh, and cl- um, people who are trying to find treatments, uh, you know, are looking at you know ways to block the amyloid, but the uh, the, the medicines that have been generated for that purpose don't, it, it looks like uh, most of the trials have failed or, or you know, that, there, that there's something else. So it was noted, you know, um, some time ago that, uh, um, that subjects with Alzheimer's often have um, some, some phenomenon occurring before they actually develop full-blown Alzheimer's. And one of them is that they appear to get insulin resistance in the brain. And they start having problems with the uh, mitochondria, which are these little, you know, the components in the cell that make energy. And uh, I noted that these changes are very similar to what you see with fructose, that fructose also causes the same mitochondrial problems and also causes insulin resistance. And in fact, some studies have shown that if you give sugar, that you can actually induce insulin resistance in the brain with these mitochondrial problems. And so uh, the whole story is beginning to fit stronger. You know, diabetes is associated with activation of this uh, switch and diabetes is a risk factor. So, uh, you know, it, the story is getting stronger as it goes. And then uh, we also realized, David, that um, that there could be an understandable mechanism to link the two. So uh, when you eat fructose, it's actually used by animals 
in the wild to help them survive. And the way it does that is, uh, it, you know, it creates this alarm signal that there's not enough energy. But actually, there isn't enough energy. It just it creates that sense that there's not enough energy. It drops the ATP levels, but it allows it stimulates the storage of more energy. So you actually become fatter and fatter. So you have more energy than you normally have. It's just that it's stored. And and your uh, and so what it does is when you eat fructose, the first thing it does is it makes you hungry, makes you thirsty, and it makes you want to forage for food. And there's actually data showing that when you eat fructose, that it reduces, it activates areas in the brain associated with foraging for food. Now, to forage, foraging is a real behavior in which you, um, you know, you have to be brave and go into areas uh, that maybe no, you've not been before where there could be predators. Is that like my refrigerator? <laughs> well, hopefully you know the refrigerator. <laughs> but, but yes, for most of us, we, we, the first thing we'll forage is we'll go straight to the refrigerator <laughs> or the pantry. Uh, but anyway, but foraging is this, is this behavior where you're going to go out and look for food. And you have to, you know, uh, you know, be, be, you can't deliberate very long. You need to look around. You have to move fast. You have to, you can't concentrate on any one thing very long. You have to be able to, to change and look and, and uh, be, be very uh, impulsive. Um, and so it turns out that when you give fructose, it decreases the control centers in the cortex so that you 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 uh, can't you don't deliberate as much you you don't take as decision making is uh, is is reduced and and impulsive impulsivity is increased and it also affects like the recent memory that what we call the hippocampus it decreases the signaling there because it doesn't really want you to remember um, things that are going to scare you and and what you know will prevent you from going back. So, so what happens is the way it does that is it reduces the insulin signaling to the areas of the brain. So normally the brain doesn't really require a lot of insulin, but there's certain areas of the brain that do use insulin uh, to, to get, to move glucose into the, into the uh, brain and like the hippocampus and certain regions of the brain use insulin more. And those insulin sensitive areas are really affected by fructose. And so there's less glucose uptake into those areas. And there's the development of insulin resistance in the brain to help you forage. Okay. But then think about it. If you're blocking the uptake of fuel into the hippocampus, it's it's great if you're, you're going to go out foraging. But what if you're doing this every day and we're eating sugar every day? We're eating all these foods that are activating the switch. So we're, we have like chronically reducing the glucose into these areas. That's really uh, what we're talking about is uh, preceding Alzheimer's is this uh, insulin resistance in the brain where there's decreased glucose uptake, then there's not enough fuel over time that there's, uh, you start developing, uh, uh, you know, chronically low ATP levels because it's, it's inducing oxidative stress to those mitochondria and, and then you'll get neuron loss. And you could see how, and, and inflammation, and you could see how this uh, could lead to Alzheimer's. So it's there's also a, uh, a, a link 
in terms of how fructose works, where we can say, yeah, you know, it was, it's sort of like a prolonged foraging response. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you probably know that some people with Alzheimer's disease will, will kind of go out and, and just kind of wander around looking for, uh, and they, you know, it can be an issue. And whether or not this is kind of a carryover of this foraging response uh, is something that needs to be looked at more. I, I want to, so my understanding of Alzheimer's, I'm not a scientist or a physician, but yeah. my, my understanding is that it's, um, it's a disease of inflammation. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the word inflammation there. Yes. How does, talk to me, fructose inflammation. Yeah, fructose is, is a big driver of inflammation. And um, it absolutely increases uh, systemic inflammation. And it, uh, and it does so uh, as part of this dropping of, in the energy. And uh, part of it is from the generation of a substance called uric acid. And the uric acid can stimulate inflammatory pathways uh, both systemically and, and in the brain. Um, and so, uh, uh, the, for example, it's been shown that, um, uh, that fructose can lead to uric acid accumulation in cells and that that can activate inflammatory pathways. And in Alzheimer's, there's what we call neural inflammation. Um, and, and it's often like in places like where the recent memory sites are and stuff. And, and you can, you can um, induce similar features by activating the switch. You can get inflammation in the hypothalamus and, and areas like that in the brain. So it, it all sort of fits. And, and inflammation is part of it. Mitochondrial dysfunction or uh, kind of a breakdown of where the mitochondria aren't working as well is a critical component of early uh, Alzheimer's type three diabetes is what they call it, but it's this insulin resistance in the, in the brain. That's part of it. And fructose does all those things. So um, it becomes a very good candidate for what might be playing a role in Alzheimer's. And um, it's not proven. It needs, there's needs to be more studies done, but um, the, the roadmap is there the whole roadmap from A to Z. So I've, I, speaking of the, the inflammation, you've got me thinking about something here that I've noticed people, I'm, I'm a very judgmental person, Richard, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but I, I have noticed in my own little, you know, observational studies that people who eat a lot of sugar and sugary stuff, high glycemic carbohydrates, their skin tends to look like hell. Yeah. So. Uh, is that part of this inflammation response? Well, it is very interesting that um, uh, aging is related to oxidative stress uh -huh. and um, especially to the mitochondria. And the best way to induce oxidative stress to those mitochondria is with fructose. It absolutely <laughs> causes oxidative stress. And uh, we found, uh, we did a study and found that when we, we had mice that were protected from fructose because they, they lack this enzyme that metabolizes fructose. And there's also a, humans, uh, there's a rare hereditary disease where, where humans can't metabolize fructose and they live a completely normal life. They don't get diabetes. They don't get obesity. Um, yeah, but, but what's interesting is that um, 
our, when we studied it, we found that they were protected, the fructokinase or fructose uh, mice that couldn't uh, metabolize fructose were protected from aging. Mm. Uh, and we found that they didn't get aging changes in, in their kidney. They, their blood pressure stayed normal, even as adults. Um, they were kept, they stayed lean. And in fact, we, we are hoping to study this more. And we think that even caloric restriction may be related to this, the benefits of cutting, cutting back on, 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 on both uh, eating and making fructose. It could, could be the, be the mechanism. And when we, when we look at animals that um, where we block the fructose, we can see evidence of things that are associated with longevity. And also uh, when we give fructose, we can show that, um, that there's uh, in, an inhibition of things associated with longevity. So there's these like antioxidants called NERF. Um, you know, most animals that live long have high NERF levels. Fructose lowers NERF. Okay. Um, there's a thing called sirtuins. These things are associated with longevity. Uh, fructose administration causes sirtuin levels to drop. Um, if you take a fruit fly, remember we talked about fruits versus sugar. So a fruit fly spends its life eating, you know, this, you know, the fruit juice. Um, but it, it, but if you give it soft drinks, if you give it table sugar, liquid table sugar, these little fruit flies die prematurely. They, they age rapidly. And not only do they age and they die prematurely, but they develop obesity and diabetes. Uh, little flies. There's a group that actually <laughs> can A fat tell. fruit fly? Yeah, Richard, exactly. come on. Yes, it's true. And uh, and also they get they get problems with uric acid. They they die from uric acid, believe it or not, kidney failure. So, so anyway, yeah. So if you're a fruit fly, don't go after the table sugar. Or you, well, sure but they do. Have, anyway. They like table sugar. But, yeah. But anyway, so the bottom line is um, there really is an association, and in fact, um, there's people that are trying to develop like skin creams. Uh, you know, involving uh, there's there's I'm, I'm aware of people that are working on this where they're using some of this knowledge to try to develop uh, anti uh, creams that can block uh, wrinkles and stuff. Um, last week, we um, on the podcast, we had we talked a lot about blood pressure. What's yeah. the effect of I got to imagine everything you're telling me here. Fructose, blood pressure bad interaction there very bad so so it's been known for a long time that sugar intake is associated with um the development of hypertension i yeah. actually published a paper on that too and there's even studies that show that just reducing sugar intake can lower blood pressure so those studies are already published and all that what we also know is that if you give if you take a person, a volunteer, and you give them a, a dose of glucose, their blood pressure does not go up. You hmm. give them water, their blood pressure does not go up. You give them fructose, the blood pressure goes up immediately. And, and what's more, we can show that it's, uh, we did a study in people where we gave them a high fructose drink. And after two weeks, their blood pressures all went up dramatically. And we were able to lower it with uh, by 
by lowering uric acid, which is this substance that uh, the fructose produces. So, so I just want, I want to give you a, a scenario here. Yeah, um, go ahead. Uh, so something practical here. So if what we're saying is if the glucose spikes, if you get a glucose spike, it's going to convert some of that to fructose. Right. So therefore, um, if I drink or I eat something, so I eat my cake, right? So maybe the cake has a, yes. a certain amount of fructose in it, but it's mostly glucose, right? But, right. but blood sugar spikes, the spike gets converted to fructose, then my blood pressure goes up. Did I, did I get that right? Yeah, that, that would be correct. Okay. Got it. That's correct. And in fact, uh, you know, if you give, we, we did studies in people, if you give us them a soft drink that has both glucose and fructose, their blood pressure goes up within, within minutes. Okay, wow. so 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 sugar does raise blood pressure. Uh, so does salt, and uh, we can show that the two are are linked. That a salt also stimulates the production of fructose, and in our animals, if we give them uh, anything to raise fructose, their blood pressure goes up. Um, and so, yes, what and and in fact, uh, there's pretty good evidence that what happens is that this there's a pathway that involves fructose and uric acid that leads to uh, hypertension. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but what's, what's fascinating is the work done by um, my collaborators, especially a, a gentleman named Bernardo Rodriguez Aturbi, um, showed that, you know, over time, when you give sugar, or if you do things that raise uric acid, initially the blood pressure is being driven by this sugar and uric acid. But over time, the you start getting that inflammation that we talked about. The inflammation occurs in the kidney as well as other places. And when the inflammation starts to get significant in the kidney, it will maintain the blood pressure even after you lower the uric mm. acid. And so when we did studies in animals, we found that uric acid and fructose raised blood pressure acutely. And then the animals over time would become chronically hypertensive. But once they developed that inflammation in the kidney, then the blood pressure was driven by the kidney more than by the Mm. food. Uh, And so what we did is, uh, I'll tell you kind of a fun story. Uh, Well, it it was insightful. So um, we had kind of discovered this this relationship of sugar and uh, uric acid with high blood pressure. And that, and we knew that it would would be most evident in people whose blood pressure is just beginning to go up, not in people who've been have had high blood pressure for twenty years, because at that stage we would expect it to be driven by the kidney more than by the by the sugar. So while I was studying this, a young man named Dan Feig came to see me, and he is a pediatric nephrologist. Uh, or kidney specialist, and he also studies high blood pressure. And he had this clinic uh, in Houston uh, of children who were being diagnosed with high blood pressure. And he had this huge group of, of adolescents, you know, averaging maybe around 12 to 15 years of age that were developing high blood pressure. Most of them had obesity. Many of them were drinking a lot of soft drinks. And, uh, and so we did this uh, trial. First, we documented that almost everyone with a high blood pressure had this high uric acid and high intakes of sugar. And then we we lowered the uric acid then in them using a, a very crossover placebo-controlled randomized trial. And we could cure their hypertension 
And about 90% of them just by lowering the uric acid without having to give them a blood pressure medicine. And uh, we published that in a, you know, a very fine journal. Um, and, um, and so what we realized, and also they lost weight, you know, uh, uh, when we treated the children with this, they, um, some of them actually it didn't, wasn't so much that they lost weight, but they, they, they didn't gain weight like the, um, you know, uh, like the other, the kids who continued to eat, to drink the sugar without having the uric acid lower. So Let, let's move to, um, I want to talk about cancer because yeah. you're, 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 you know, fructose inflammation, all these yeah. things. I have to believe that cancer loves fructose. Well, let me tell you the, the story there. So, so it's been known that people who are overweight or obese are at increased risk for certain types of cancer. And mm. it's, you know, breast cancer is higher and people who are overweight uh, and women are overweight, um, a colon cancer, liver cancer, pancreatic cancer. And uh, it's been known for some time that these cancer cells uh, like to, to grow in the presence of fructose. So if you're growing them like in a Petri dish and you add fructose, they seem to like that as a fuel. And, um, and it turns out that, um, you know, a long time ago, it was discovered that cancer cells like, um, you know, can grow even in settings where there's very low oxygen. And, um, and they need to do that because when a cancer cell spreads, it often goes to an organ where there's not a, it doesn't have a blood supply initially. So it's kind of an, it's in a low oxygen state until it can induce its own blood supply. So cancer cells have to be able to, to survive in low oxygen states. And what fructose does is um, it stimulates uh you know, it, it reduces ATP. We talked about how it reduces ATP levels. And the way it does that is it kind of reduces the mitochondria from making ATP. It, it shunts the energy to fat. And so the mitochondria are making less ATP, but mitochondria use oxygen to make ATP. And by reducing the mitochondria, the, the cell uses less oxygen. And instead, fructose kind of shifts the energy so that it's being made uh, through a primitive system that doesn't require oxygen. So fructose actually helps us uh, help cells survive under low oxygen states. And so uh, it happens to be the ideal fuel for cancer cells. And so there's been some nice work showing that things like high fructose corn syrup can stimulate cancer growth in, in animals. And, um, and, uh, there's this thought that, you know, blocking, reducing sugar intake might be helpful in people with certain types of cancer and that blocking fructose metabolism might be beneficial. And we, we did a study where we looked at uric acid, which is produced from fructose. And when we raised uric acid in mice, we could, uh, we could inject them with tumors and the tumors spread much more rapidly. Mm. Uh, and so we, I do think that there is, uh, that fructose probably has a role in cancer. Um, it, not, it doesn't cause cancer, but it stimulates the growth of cancer. Um, and, uh, you know, so if you're, if you're diagnosed with cancer, especially, uh, you know, associated with these, uh, you know, being overweight, for example, like breast cancer, colon, I would recommend cutting back on sugar and, you know, going on uh, a low carb diet, for example, or, 
the diet that I have in my book or a Mediterranean diet would be good, but I would try not to eat a lot of sugar. And um, on the other hand, if you're, uh, you know, have terrible cancer and you can't eat anything and you're, you know, it's more important to get food in than it is anything else. And so whatever you want that you can eat is, you know, I would recommend, you know, so if you're in a stage where you're not able to eat, but if you, if you, uh, you know, still eating fairly well, uh, you know, cut back on, on fructose, on high glycemic carbs, um, a low carb diet would be a good move. Um, we have a few minutes left. And I got one more question for you. <laughs> yeah. So we've been talking about the pathway of fructose causing inflammation, causing stress through the body. Yeah. It's seeming like everywhere. But right. wh what about the reverse? Say I'm feeling stress. I'm experiencing some sympathetic stress response. How does that go? The, how does it go the other way? So does that cause more fructose to be produced out of my, I, I don't know, help me out there. Yeah, I, we have not studied this. This is a great question. Um, we know that this, uh, the activation of the mechanism to produce fructose is, a, is, a, is initiated by stress. Mm. So for example, if, if your oxygen levels go low, your body will try to make fructose. If your blood pressure goes low, your body will make, try to make fructose. If you eat a lot of salt so that your um, the salt concentrations are high in your blood and you're thirsty, you'll trigger the production of fructose. So fructose, this uh, the production of fructose is really initiated by stress, you know, low blood pressure, mm. um, you're not getting enough blood. You're like, if you have a heart attack uh, in the heart where there's not enough oxygen and not enough blood supply, fructose will be produced. And yet, although it was originally meant to be to help us uh, in Western society, this production of fructose is hurting us. And in fact, it's been shown that when the fructose is produced in the heart in a heart attack, it actually can cause uh, cardiac disease uh, in animals, for example. But so, but I, I, so wait, we don't want to do that. But to get back to your, to get I'm, back to what you're saying, uh, what about just general stress? If I get right. if I get anxiety. Am I going to make fructose? I don't know the answer. Uh, well, I, I think it's possible that if you get stressed enough that you might trigger the production of fructose. I, but, I know from wearing a CGM that any kind of stress that I put my body under, be it physical, just or sitting in the sauna, right. emotional stress, whatever, my blood glucose levels go up under yeah. stress, any kind. Right. Well, in that case, you definitely are going to probably make fructose. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. Yes. And so the sympathetic nervous system, yeah, it does cause glucose levels to go up. So yeah, right. it should. Maybe if that's the mechanism, that would explain it um, uh, for sure. Uh, we just haven't studied it, but I, I would predict, well, you know, it's known that type A personalities, um, you know, are at increased risk for high blood pressure and you know, I, I have to give a, lec a lecture later this week and, you know, my my uh, sympathetic nervous system is going to go up when I get up in front of a crowd. Um, and so maybe Fight or that, flight, Richard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so maybe that's it. But um, yeah, it's a good question. We just, we haven't studied it, but I believe mm. it's true. And what you just told me certainly makes sense because if your glucose goes up with stress, which it does for a lot of people, that would trigger uh, fructose production. I noticed it when I was sitting in the sauna. Right. I'm sitting in the sauna. Nothing's happening. I'm just sitting there. It's just hot. 
but I'm, um, my body is having a, um, you know, heat shock proteins are being produced. Yeah. I'm having a stress response and I'm w- looking at my glucose monitor and it's like, you know, 130, 135. And I'm thinking, what, I mean, what's happening here? And it's that yeah. it's the stress. That response. is that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I always have trouble going into saunas cause it's so hot. But the, I, you oh, know, you got people, it, man. Some people oh, will sit so there good. for like 20 minutes. Yes. Yes. You I must. cannot do it. I cannot oh, you, do it. You can do it. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm going to help you out here, buddy. Um, I love, I, I'm going to send you the finished study on all cause mortality and saunas. And when you read this, you will just suck it up and go in there and get hot. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's amazing. Yeah. But um, exactly. There could be real, as you say, there could be real benefits doing it. Um, but Um, yeah, I, I just find it hard to tolerate. It's well, you get you acclimate after a while. Yeah. Okay. I trust you. (laughs) So listen, um, this is, this has been great. I, I so love your deep science on this, on fructose. Um, and I want to have you back (laughs) because we'll have you back later on. And we're going to talk about water and hydration and fructose, because I think that, um, that's super interesting, but that's for another day. I'd be happy to come back. And I agree with you. Water is probably the the, the simplest and easiest uh, way to combat obesity. Uh, and um, as you were saying before we get on the call, do not hyperhydrate, meaning do not go out there and drink gallons and gallons of water. Right. You're going to put yourself in the hospital. Um, That's right. Be sensible. So you, yeah. Drink <laughs> drink until the, the, the urine should be light yellow. If it's absolutely clear like water, you're drinking too much. And if it's dark yellow, you're not drinking enough. You just want a, like a light yellow tinge. That's like the perfect amount. That's right. Okay. Richard, it's a pleasure. Thank you thank, so much for joining thank us Thank you, again. David. Thank you so much. Take care. You bet. Dr. Richard Johnson's book is Nature Wants Us to Be Fat. There's great information in there about diet and hydration and a lot of things that we spoke about today. So check that out. It's on Amazon. Thank you all for joining us today. Um, that Google call in number again, 801-871-5291. And you have the opportunity to leave us up to a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. You can also leave us a comment. We'd love those. And if you want to reach out to me directly, david at superage.com, and I'll get back to you personally and directly. Coming up next week, we're going to be talking about breathing and you know, breathing is sort of one of those things. It's like drinking water. You know, of course we know how to do that, but do we really know how to do it right? And if we're doing it wrong, what are the effects of that? So that's going to be really interesting. We've got a whole bunch of fascinating people lined up in the queue coming up for the next four or five weeks of the Super Age podcast. Hope you can join us for those. In the meantime, everyone have a great week and we'll see you next week. Take care. Take care.